2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll be reading from verses um, uh, 6 uh, to the um, end of the, the chapter. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and following. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every great work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, for their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest for your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity results in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service in which you have uh, proved yourself. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace, um, surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to the God for thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right. Let me open us in a word of prayer and let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. So pray with me. Gracious and loving Father, um, we come before you because you call us, you invite us. Uh, we dare not come um, apart from our merits uh, because we don't have any, uh, but we come to you based upon the merits of Christ, and that is our, our only hope. We stand in grace and we need your grace, and we thank you that you offer that grace to us always. Um, you call us to enter your throne room of grace so that you would help us, and we always need that, Lord God. Um, we pray in particular this um, morning that you would open the eyes of our heart by the power of your spirit, and I pray that we would understand um, just how generous you have been with us. And because of that, I pray that we would be generous towards one another in the world around us um, so that we can be a blessing. And we thank you that even the meager things that we offer to you, um, you multiply it and you do something great with it, and that's truly remarkable. Um, you always incommensurately bless your people, um, and for that we are grateful. So bless our time, we commit it to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that I've been thinking about lately um, is the idea of generosity. So I just want to share um, some of those musings with you. And in particular, just want to make a couple of points based upon 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses uh, 6 to 15. And let me open up by giving you a little story about uh, my son. Uh, many of you guys know Caleb, and we're excited that uh, he's coming back tomorrow um, after a long uh, year um, in college, and I can't believe how quickly time passes. Uh, but when he was in second grade, he had a little school project, and in that school project, um, they grew a bean plant. And so they were given a little styrofoam cup, and they had some soil and some beans. And so they planted it, and I can imagine um, second grade boys looking into it the next day expecting something to grow, and they probably just saw, saw soil and nothing grew. They came back the next day, they saw nothing, and they probably began to wonder at that point, will actually anything grow? 
and they maybe even forgot about it because they're just uh, playing with their friends and going on to other subjects. But lo and behold, uh, perhaps a week later, they see a green shoot and they're amazed that actually this lifeless looking being in dirt um, is actually growing. And to their amazement in time, it actually becomes a little bean plant. Now, my son was very excited over this and he loves his uh, grandparents and his grandparents love him. So as a gift, he gave that little styrofoam cup with a bean plant to my mom. And my mom, because she loves plants and more importantly, she loves Caleb, actually took care of that bean plant. Fast forward um, 15 years or so, and that bean plant is still alive. Every year she takes the beans and replants them. And Sophie, who was 10 years younger than Caleb, harvests those uh, beans every year. So the last uh, 10 to 15 years, we've always had uh, beans and we can eat these beans. And that really underlines the amazing quality of seeds and things like that. Um, when you have them in your hand, uh, you can grab a whole clumpful and they seem lifeless, they seem inert. It seems like they can't really do anything, but you sow it uh, with a little bit of love, a little bit of water, some good soil, and all of a sudden you have a plant and you have life. So God has structured it that these seeds will inevitably grow and produce a harvest that is incommensurate. And really, think about it, a couple of beans. Um, produces, uh, what, 10, 15 years of beans for the Lee family to eat. And it all started with a styrofoam cup, a little dirt, and a second grader and his imagination. Truly remarkable. And I think there's a spiritual lesson there. And the Apostle Paul is trying to apply that spiritual lesson to the Corinthians. And he's basically saying to the Corinthians, um, I want you to sow, because when you sow, just like a seed, there will be an incommensurate harvest of blessing, not only for you, but for those that you sow into as well. And that's an important point I think all churches need to grapple with. But I think, I think um, in the life of the church, there always comes a point where the members who are committed say, you know, what's the point of church? And uh, we've been doing this and we've been at it for so long. Um, and, you know, good news has been around for a long time. So maybe some of you guys are actually in this boat. We've been at it, uh, we've given our 20s, we've given our 30s, and some of you guys are in your 40s, and maybe a few of you are pressing into 50 like myself. And you say to yourself, we've been doing this, what's the point? And sometimes I think we ask what the point is because we haven't been sowing. Because if we're sowing in time, there will inevitably be a harvest because that's the spiritual principle that the Lord has established. And so my exhortation um, to um, Good News Church and Good News has always been a, a congregation that has sown to continue sowing in faith, because in the end, there will be an inevitable harvest. Now, when we look at this passage, um, I want to make a couple of points here. The first point that the Apostle Paul makes is that the harvest is actually going to be pretty remarkable. So when you look at the language that the Apostle Paul uses, it is really remarkable, because what Paul is doing here is he's um, taking a collection because the churches in Judea are struggling financially, and so they're in need of help. So the Apostle Paul tells a relatively wealthier congregation, the Corinthians, to give. And um, so he's making this collection, and he's going to take that collection all the way to the churches in Judea, give it to them. And the Apostle Paul says, when I do this, certain things will happen. One thing that's going to happen 
is that the people are going to be filled with thanksgiving and praise God. Now, this is remarkable because the Corinthians do not know the church in Judea at all. Uh, they have no relationship with them. They don't know what they look like. They don't know what they're like at all. In fact, I did a little Google search from Corinth to the churches in Judea, and it's about a thousand miles. A thousand miles is a, is a very big um, uh, distance, especially in the ancient world. And yet the apostle Paul says, when the Corinthians sow, it will transform the, the hopeless situations that the Judean churches are in, and they will be filled with thanksgiving and praise to God. Now, if you think about the Great Commission, um, the thing that God has called us to do, not just the Corinthians, but all of us, um, the Great Commission can be accomplished in part by generosity. Why? Because when the Corinthians give, what's naturally going to happen is people's hopeless situations are going to be transformed so their hearts are filled with gratitude. That's what Paul says. And not only will their hearts be filled with gratitude, they're going to praise God. Now, he might be talking about Christians, but I'm also sure that sprinkled amongst them are probably unbelievers. And so some of these unbelievers are going to be filled with thanksgiving. Some of these unbelievers are going to be uh, filled with praise to God, and therefore they're going to turn away from lifeless idols to a living God. And so what we're really talking about here is this harvest will be a transformation of a heart. Uh, this, this, this scattering of seeds is going to change the direction of people and it's going to replace hopelessness with hope, um, um, death with life. And so this is actually really powerful, this harvest that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And if you think about that harvest, um, I think we can gain a lot of insights. Because the reason why that harvest is going to take place, because the Apostle Paul knows, and any thinking person knows, that it's easier to take and hold and hoard than to give. And so when strangers, complete strangers in a Gentile city like Corinth give to those who are in Judea because of their poverty, um, then it underlines something beautiful. It underlines giving, it underlines generosity, and all of those things really become a window into the gospel of Jesus Christ who has given himself. And the Apostle Paul famously says within this context, uh, we won't be looking at it, but he famously says that uh, Christ who was rich became poor for our sakes, that we might become um, Right, wealthy and rich ourselves. And so we see the movement of the gospel in this generosity, and it changes the lives of people. And there's something about, in particular, uh, financial giving that does this, because as much as it is true today, so it's also true in the ancient world, that people had a hard time giving away material possessions, because that's what they see, that's what they touch, and they believe that those are the things that ultimately bring happiness. But in that giving, what we see is... Um, Christ's generosity. Um, it becomes an object lesson of Christ's generosity, and therefore it will turn to the transformation of the hearts of people. So if we take a step back and think about that dynamic for a moment, we can say in a very exciting way that the church's generosity even today in 2021 can actually change the hearts of people, change the mindset of people, um, change the, the direction of a person's life, um, and therefore, it really underlines the power of generosity and also the power of the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping. The Apostle Paul wants the Corinthians to have an incredible harvest, and there's only one way possible, and that is through sowing. Similarly, 
Um, I pray that Good News Church will have harvest upon harvest upon harvest for generations to come. And the spiritual principle is there has to be an antecedent sowing. Apart from that sowing, there will be no harvest. But if there is sowing in faith, there will be a harvest, not in our perfect time, but in God's perfect time. Now, I need to move a little bit forward and be a little more realistic uh, about this sowing and reaping, because there is a big assumption um, in the idea of sowing, and that big assumption is there's a death that takes place, and we see this time and time again. Let me give you an example. Um, when I was uh, in my 20s, I read an internet article, and to be honest, I could not find it again. It's, it's no longer on the internet. I read it from uh, a publication called The Voice of the Martyrs, and in this publication, it recounted uh, an incident, a really sad, harrowing incident in North Korea, and the government was um, um, excavating because they were creating a subway system, and as they were creating the subway system, they literally hit upon an underground church. Um, these were North Korean believers worshiping, literally, again, underground because um, they, they feared the persecution of the government. And when the government found this underground church, they wanted to make an example of this church. And um, so they said, you need to deny your faith in Christ. And the church leaders said, we cannot deny our faith in Christ. And then they upped the ante. And the government basically said, if you don't deny your faith in Christ, then we'll have to do something to your children and execute them. And so the parents were put in a very difficult situation. And still the parents of the church said, we can't deny our faith in Christ. So the children um, were executed. And after the children were executed, they said, we'll give you one more chance to deny your faith in Christ. And the church said no. And so they were all laying on the dirt and they can hear the revving of the engine of a steamroller. And um, they sang a hymn that I typically sang on a Sunday service. And as they were singing, they were, they were killed. And that um, um, is an incredibly sad story. And to be completely honest, it's difficult to find whether this story is true or not. Uh, but I did find a BBC article saying exactly that point, that rumors of this incident have actually taken place. And that is online. Uh, but the article also wisely says that we should not discount stories like this because in the past, uh, when stories like this took place in the Soviet Union, um, no one believed it until later, and they were all corroborated as, as true. And it does underline the human depravity that, res that resides in people's hearts. But the point I'm trying to make is there's um, a dying that takes place, which makes sense because Jesus pretty much says the same thing in John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus says, very truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So I believe in the bottom of my heart that um, that North Korean underground church sowed what was most precious. And that's not finances. It's ultimately their lives. So they planted their lives in the soil of the earth of North Korea. And because of their blood, I am sure that one day that regime will topple. And that regime will topple because there will be an inevitable harvest because there was a sowing. And it will be incommensurate to the sowing. So the harvest will be extraordinary. But the point that we have to keep in mind is that there's going to be a dying that is necessary for there to be a harvest. Because sowing is just not simply sprinkling seeds all over the place. Um, but it's also um, 
there's an element of dying. I'll give you an example in my own life. Um, I remember in 1997, um, and this is not uh, a dramatic example like the North Korean example, but I wanted to give you a non-dramatic example just to give an illustration of what a dying can look like in our daily lives. I remember 1997, I approached one professor and uh, I asked uh, whether this person could recommend me to um, a PhD program in, excuse me, Reformation history. Um, many of you probably don't know that my first love in academics was Reformation history. And so I wanted to study um, the English Reformation in particular. And so uh, I did a post back and the professor and I got along really well. And I went to all of his office hours and uh, we became really good friends. And he said, you know, I'll be happy to write a recommendation and not only write a recommendation, but I'm going to contact my friend who's at the department um, at this university and see if he would even talk to you and you can talk to him. And um, I have good hopes that things will work out. So I was very, very, very excited. Uh, but at the same time, I knew in the back of my mind that I couldn't actually go through with it um, because I made a vow to God that I would be a minister and start a church rather than pursue a PhD program. So I remember um, being in the car and um, I was also simultaneously at Westminster Seminary. And I used to drive my professor home because by the end of his life, he became blind, so he couldn't travel at all. So he had an evening class. And so after the class, I said, oh, you know, I would love to drive you home every time we have class. And he uh, accepted. So I, I used to drive him home. And I asked him a question. Uh, it was a hypothetical question. And the question was this. If there was a young man in rashness that made a vow, does he have to keep it? And he saw right through it. And he said, John, fulfill your promise to God. And I knew what I had to do. So there was a, a mini dying that took place. I did not apply. And in fact, I contacted the presbytery and I said, I need to get ordained ASAP and I'll do whatever it takes to get ordained. And that's the beginnings of uh, Good News Church in New Brunswick. And when I look at that story, it was a very minor thing. So I don't want to make it seem like, oh, it was a, a huge struggle. And this is this is what I had to do. It was really a couple of pieces of seed that I sprinkled into the dirt. Uh, I just couldn't do certain things that I wanted to do. No big deal. But when I look at what took place, um, it's completely incommensurate. Um, I was not only able to start Good News Church, but uh, meet a, a host of incredible people. I would have never met any of you if I pursued a PhD in uh, Reformation history. I probably wouldn't have been a, a very good historian either, and I probably wouldn't even have a Reformation job. So thank God uh, for the Lord saving me from that. Not only that, I was able to meet Mimi and get married and uh, um, have two wonderful children. So the point is, yes, there is a dying, but there is always an incommensurate harvest that takes place. And I think we have to keep both of those in mind, particularly because there are certain people that always emphasize the dying. And they say, oh my gosh, a sowing will require dying. And there's other people who forget about the dying and only look at the harvest. But when we look at a passage like this, or the broader scope of scripture, then we know that there is both a dying that takes place um, always because of, of the passages like uh, John chapter 12, verse 24, but also a harvest and both elements are there. But the reason why I chose this passage and the reason why I love this passage so much is because the apostle Paul is not just theological, but he's also very encouraging and pastoral. Um, and Paul, are, Paul is all of those things. 
And he's very encouraging because he also makes an observation that I think is often miss, missed by uh, people who look at a passage like this. Um, and that is, God is the one who actually sows in us. So the truth of the matter is, yes, we have to sow. Yes, there's a dying. Yes, there's a harvest. But also, God is the one who sows in us. And no less than three times that element of God sowing in us is mentioned in this passage. So when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to bless abundantly so that they can abound in every good work. So the underlying principle there is the Lord is the one who is going to bless with grace the Corinthians who give. Simultaneously, two chapters, uh, two verses later, Paul writes, God is the one who supplies the seed to the sower so that there will be an enlarged harvest. So who's the one who is sowing in the Corinthians? Well, according to that verse, it's the Lord who is sowing in the Corinthians. And when we come to the end, Paul rounds off his conclusion by saying that it's God's surpassing grace that he has given to the Corinthians. So you put all those verses together, and then we come to this glorious truth. Yes, the Corinthians are called to sow, but God is the one who will incessantly, constantly, faithfully sow in the lives of the, the Corinthians. So there will be seed for them, and there will be an enlarged harvest. So who gives the seed? It's the Lord who gives the seed. Who gives the enlarged harvest is the Lord that gives the enlarged harvest. So in their sowing, not only will the Judean churches a thousand miles an hour, a thousand miles away be blessed, but the Corinthians will simultaneously be blessed as well. And I think we can parse this a little bit. And I think um, Fred mentioned, uh, or maybe it was Eunice that mentioned um, uh, the prayer that will take place for those who are sick in James. And when we go to the book of James, there is an instance of this that's really powerful and really beautiful. I do believe that when we sow, there is going to be tremendous blessing for those who sow. So let me just focus on that for a moment. You know, I love what the book of James says, um, that uh, those who are wealthy and hoard on to their wealth and uh, systematically oppress those who are poor because of their greed, uh, that judgment is already upon them. So the verb tense that the uh, author of James uses is in the perfect tense, which I think in that context means that judgment has already fallen. And the language that James uses um, suggests that judgment has already fallen because he doesn't say that your gold will be corroded. He says your gold is already corroded. He doesn't say your cloth, your fine clothing, your fancy clothing is moth, will be moth-eaten. He says your clothes are already moth-eaten. So if you think about it, that idea of not sowing and hoarding for yourself is judgment in and of itself. Let me try to give you an illustration. And um, Fred and I teach uh, uh, middle school students, and some of the middle school student boys uh, really love their sneakers. Um, and... I, th I think, you know, even we as adults, sometimes we, we love shoes maybe a little too much. Um, and so we might buy that ideal pair of shoes. And, you know, I have a little weakness for like comfortable, nice shoes too, to, just to be completely transparent. But sometimes we buy like, and I remember buying a really fancy pair of shoes that I really loved because they were dress shoes, but they felt like sneakers. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best pair of loafers that I've ever seen. This is probably the best pair of loafers that um, uh, were ever created. And I wish I could buy a whole bunch of them because I just love it so much. And so I, I didn't really use them that much. 
And to be completely honest with you, I don't know where I put them. I put them in a safe spot and I lost them. And that's sort of what happens when we hoard, right? Um, we don't use it, so we don't enjoy it. And when we use it, we're so scared of ruining it or losing it that we can't enjoy the moment. So from that perspective, those shoes that I had were already moth-eaten and they were already corroded because it took hold of my heart. Similarly, um, when we don't sew, there's going to be a natural judgment that falls because of our greed. And what James says is, well, God is the one who can set you free from that. And when we sow, then we actually live and walk in the blessings of God. And there is going to be great power there and great freedom there and a great harvest there. And let me try to illustrate it now in a positive way. Um, one of the interesting things that, that I think um, Weber, the great sociologist, has uh, connected was economics and religion. And uh, there's a really fancy uh, German word that means kinship or affinity. So there's an affinity uh, that ties together religion and, um, and economics. And uh, recently, another sociologist by the name of Peter Berger tied those things together and kind of rebooted Weber by looking at the charismatic movement in South American countries and in Africa. And he noted that whenever Pentecostalism grew in society, that the, the nation's GDP went up and the wealth of people went up. Um, and partially, I, you know, I think that that has become true because they were people who sowed um, in society and sowed in their own communities and sowed within believers and sowed within um, people even outside the church. And when that sowing took place, now I'm looking at it from a spiritual point of view, it really brought forth and brought up the economy. Um, I think we can say the same thing about countries like uh, South Korea. Um, and so when you look at South Korea, um, after the Korean War, I, I do believe that they were probably the sixth poorest country in the world. I'll say that again, the sixth poorest country in the world. So the GDP was lower than you could ever imagine. You fast forward um, 50 years, then it's um, one of the real superpowers um, of the country. And why did that happen? How did that happen? And I believe it's that um, kinship between religion and economics uh, that really answers that um, answers that uh, that uh, that question, and it's because Korea had a heart to sow. In particular, they wanted to sow missionaries around the world, and they wanted to reach the world. And their sowing was not then merely money. Their sowing was the lives of people being in every corner of the world, bringing forth the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with great sacrifice. And believe it or not, Korea, though it's a small nation of like 50 million people. Um, roughly a sixth or a seventh the size of the population in America, they sent the second greatest amount of missionaries. And I believe the last statistic that I read was Korea sent about 27,000 missionaries um, three or four years ago, a, a year, which is absolutely amazing for a small country. So what they're doing is sowing. And what happens is there's a reaping that takes place. And that reaping not only affects the nations that they reach out to, but it even blesses Korea itself. Now, to be sure, if you talk to a secular person who doesn't have this worldview, they would vehemently disagree and they will give you many other reasons of why Korea has emerged. But I think broadly speaking, we can see that pattern even in nations, that when there is 
a sowing, God sows in those nations. And when there's a sowing in congregations, God sows in them. And when individuals have a heart to sow, God sows in them as well. And therefore, there's an enlarged harvest for everyone that is in view. And I think that's one of the points that the Apostle Paul is making to the Corinthians. Yes, he's saying to the Corinthians, I'm asking you to sow to those churches in Judea. But you know what? God is going to sow in you and bless you as well. And therefore, there's going to be a blessing that covers all parties that are in view. Um, so what's the point of all of this? Well, the, point, the obvious point of all this is we ought to be people who have eyes to see opportunities to sow. Now, I love this passage even more because we have to ask ourselves, well, what happened to those churches in Judea? Uh, what happened to the collection that Paul um, was uh, was aiming for for the churches in Judea? Now, if you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, that collection crops up in several places. Uh, it crops up in the Book of Acts. It crops up in First and Second Corinthians. It crops up in the Book of Romans as well. So this is not some small collection. The Apostle Paul was really aiming to do this. It's also in the Book of Galatians. So Paul mentions this collection often. Now. It's very, very interesting to me that there is no recounting of what actually happened. The last we hear is the Apostle Paul. Uh, one of the last things that we hear uh, is in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, it says two things. Number one, that the churches in Achaia gave. So we can, I think, safely say that the Corinthians did actually give. It was a struggle, but they did give and they uh, made good on their promise to give. The second thing that the Apostle Paul says is pray for us and pray that this collection would be received well. Now, that's interesting to me. Pray that this collection would be received well. The Apostle Paul does not know how this collection uh, will be received. And this is why some scholars believe that maybe Paul overreached. Uh, he was a little too aggressive with this collection. I don't know. But because I love the Apostle Paul, I always interpret him in a very positive light. So I think what he did was actually noble. I think what he did was guided by the Holy Spirit. And I think what he did was a necessary thing to bring reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles. But it's interesting to me that we don't know the outcome. And perhaps there's wisdom in not knowing the outcome. Because we might be too outcome-oriented, um, and we might be fixated on the outcome. Maybe the point of what the Apostle Paul is saying is, yes, the outcome is important, but what's more important is the orientation of our heart. And the orientation of our heart is to be generous with our lives, with our time, with our finances, with our energy. Because in the end, we might not know um, how the harvest is going to turn out. The harvest might not be in the shape that we anticipated, but there will always inevitably be under the sovereignty and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, a type of harvest that will benefit the giver, the receiver, and ultimately give glory to God. And therefore, I love, and I'll close with this, what Jesus says when people um, you know, ask for a sign, um, Jesus says, no, no sign will be given, um, but the sign of Jonah. And so the sign of Jonah is Jesus will spend three days in the belly of the earth, and then there will be a resurrection. And I can't help but look at a passage like that to say, you know what, Jesus's life is a sowing, literally, because he's in the belly of the earth, and there is a resurrection. 
and this resurrection will create an incommensurate harvest. But that harvest is different than what we would expect, even in our own lives. But the point is, there always will be one. And therefore, I want to encourage my brothers and sisters at Good News Church not to lose heart. I know the pandemic has been difficult upon all of us, and uh, we probably um, have to get into a new habit, especially as Good News Church is going to start meeting in person next week. Uh, but let's not lose the heart to be generous in spirit, because as we are generous in spirit, God will always give us a harvest. And this is one of the ways I think the Church of Christ can always be relevant in our world and always be a blessing. Requires, um, I was going to say your session, uh, but I should say now that you are uh, CRC, um, your council right, uh, to determine that. And I pray that the Lord will give you wisdom and not just wisdom, but a spirit of generosity in all that you do. And in um, God's perfect timing, maybe you'd be in your children's generation. Um, there will be a rich harvest for all that are in view and ultimately glory to the one who has been generous to us because he who was rich became poor that through his poverty, we might become rich. And that is a beautiful truth that I hope that we can hold on to all the days of our lives. So I'll just end it at that. And I, I believe uh, Peter will lead us in a time of worship. So let's just think about that as we continue to worship.